Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Tennis Fanlist podcast. I'm Marcus Alley. Joining me as always is Michael Gillett as we look into the finals in Antalya and Delray Beach before looking ahead to the lead up of the Australian Open. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Uh, enjoyed the tennis this week. Uh, rather teased in to the year with us now having to wait another couple of weeks before we have any more tennis but uh, this was a nice little preview and teaser of, of what we're going to have to come and looking forward to talking about it. But before we get into those two tournaments that kicked off the year, the two 250 ranked tournaments that happened this week. One of the bigger news stories to come out in the last day or two is that Britain's Andy Murray, the three-time Grand Slam champion, has tested positive for COVID-19 and faces somewhat of a race against time to prepare for the Australian Open that starts on the 8th of February. Um, It's going to be tough for Andy, I think. Limited time to self-isolate and obviously the restrictions in Australia when when you land there, you've got to quarantine. So it's going to be a matter of time how how much practice he's going to get in and just how organised he can be to stay fit and prepared for that first round. Yeah, um, it's definitely concerning for Murray. I know we've seen sort of contrasting things. I know when I saw on Twitter about the announcement, it was saying that, uh, I mean, George Belshaw was saying that he was still hoping to play Australia. Now looking at BBC, they're sort of saying he might even be in doubt for Australia now. Um, so, yeah, I think, as you say, it really is a race against time. Um, but, of course, with how things are in, in the country, especially at the moment, this is something that we, we've got to expect. We're seeing a lot of footballers uh, and, and managers getting going down with COVID now. And it's going to happen to players, you know, they're, they're the ones who are out doing their sport, which means they're going to be at more risk than other people. And um, it'll be a massive shame for Murray. Um Though he's asymptomatic, and, and that is, of course, good, um, but it's, it doesn't seem to be impacting him badly. I think it's a, it's a huge shame considering the, the problems he's had in the past uh, and, and really was, was gearing up for starting the year and, and hopefully going on to do well in it and continue with it. So, yeah, hopefully he can get through this, this race against time, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, it was always going to be a tricky tournament, I think, the Australian Open um, for Murray. That five-set format we know and have seen has been quite tough for him with the, with the new hit, etc. He hasn't really performed at a Grand Slam since coming back from injury, which you know, obviously was to be expected given the, given the amount of surgery, etc. that he's had on the hit. Yeah, just reading something very interesting now, actually, um, related to the topic. Uh, Tennis Sandgren has also tested positive for COVID, uh, but despite testing positive, uh, has got on a plane to Melbourne. Um, So it'd be interesting to see how that one develops, uh, whether he'll be allowed to play. Um, He's saying that he is healthy now. Um, So yeah, but this one, very interesting, that obviously Murray is having to self-isolate in London uh, before he flies to Australia. But it looks like Sandgren may have bent the rules a little bit there. Um, so if Sandgren ends up playing and Murray doesn't, Murray could definitely be left feeling a little bit miffed there. 
Yeah, we've seen quite a few inconsistencies with the way the different countries and even different clubs treat the virus so far in in sports comeback, really, since since the, the uh, sort of earlier part of, of um, 2020. Um, but not to get bogged down in the more boring stuff. I mean, it's not not the most fun thing to talk about. It does take the uh, take the magic away from it a little bit. Um, but yeah, just back onto that Australian Open and, and and the fortunes of Andy Murray. It's obviously quite unfortunate that he's tested positive for the virus. I assume he's been quite responsible. You know, he's got quite young children as well. He's not someone that stands out to be a, a rule breaker or anything else. So hopefully, you know, he can get a kind first round draw. So even if he is down on a bit of preparation, he might be able to, uh, you know, get the win sort of half cooked in that, in that first round. But, you know, we'll wait and see for that main draw to come out. Um, so just moving on from that, we do have a little break in, in the tennis calendar in between now and the Australian Open and even the next tournaments on the tour. So as you'll be aware, Antali and Delray Beach concluded in the last couple of days. And the next two tournaments on the main tour are both in Melbourne. You've got the Great Ocean Road Open and the Murray River Open, which both start on the 31st of January. So now we've got two weeks where there isn't going to be a main tour event. There probably will be some challenger stuff on, but that's not really anything that we're going to be talking about on this on this podcast. Um, so yeah, th- there's been a lot of um, entrants. The draws aren't out for those tournaments, but they've named their their sort of key players to um, yeah show off what 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 what's going to be in store in those two tournaments. So first up, you've got the Great Ocean Road Open, and I think for me and Michael the main attraction is this is the is the long-awaited return of Nick Kyrgios um, if memory serves I don't think he came back at all after lockdown in in 2020 um, we know how much he loves the Australian Open um, you know last year I remember the uh, I can't quite remember the campaign what it was called but every ace he served he would donate a certain amount of money to the bushfire crisis in Australia so clearly it's um, it's a sort of swing part of the tour that's close to his heart it's been such a long time since we've seen him on the tour, so kind of hard to set the expectations. Obviously, as I've mentioned with Murray, you'd, you'd hope the draw could be kind to him so he can kind of play himself into a bit of form, gather a little bit of momentum. But what are your initial expectations of Nick Kyrgios? Are you expecting him to be fighting fit? Are you expecting him to have ignored his fitness regime in his time off? Or, um, yeah, it's kind of a hard one to predict, but obviously we're, we're both excited to see him out there on court. Yeah, I'm really excited to see Nick Kyrgios back. I think he's brilliant for the sport. Uh, for all his flaws, he does get people watching. He does get people talking about tennis in what can be seen by a lot of neutrals as can be quite a mundane at times sports. But I think uh, Kyrgios definitely uh, spices things up and really gets a different crowd watching tennis. I think in terms of predicting where he's going to be at, um I have no idea. I think, you know, one thing I've learned about Kyrgios is you just, you cannot predict anything. I think I really wouldn't be surprised if over the lockdown period and the time off, he was sort of sitting around playing video games, enjoying himself uh, rather than out on the court practicing. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's what he's done, but I still do not rule him out just turning up and playing an absolute blinder. We've seen, Amazing tennis. I still remember when he um, won at Acapulco. I think he beat Djokovic, Nadal and then Isner in the final that week or it might have been Federer as opposed to Djokovic. I can't remember. But um, 
you know, I remember the tennis he played that week, just fantastic. Uh, we've seen him in some amazing matches, certainly with Nadal at a Grand Slam. Um, you know, he's beaten Nadal at Wimbledon. He's had really match, really good matches against Nadal at Wimbledon, a really good match against Nadal at the Australian last year. Um, and he's someone who can really, really uh, ruffle the feathers of, of the big guys. We still are yet to see Novak Djokovic play Nick Kyrgios at a Grand Slam. They've only ever played once, which Kyrgios won, which it, it was Acapulco, so it was uh, Djokovic there. Um and I think if we don't get to see Kyrgios and Djokovic in a, uh, a a tense, close Grand Slam match, it will be a great shame. So, um, yeah, I think I, I really hope he can start playing really well again because I'd love to see him go deep into Australia and provide some really good entertainment at a time where people really need it. Um, you know, watching sport, we really need it to be entertaining at the moment just to provide a sort of service to us uh, staying up indoors but um yeah no I'm really excited to see how uh, Kyrgios does I think he'll probably be saving his A game for Australia I, I can't imagine he's going to be putting all his bags in this Melbourne tournament um but you know could be really interesting it's a great lineup that he's up against you've got the likes of Stan Ravrinka there um I would love to see Nick Kyrgios and Stan Ravrinka playing each other uh, in this tournament I don't know if that would be I think quarterfinals is probably the earliest they play judging by what the ceilings would be uh, so that would be a, an amazing match Expect the unexpected then the message overall I think I definitely agree with you that it, it depending on even if you had limited preparations such as the talent of Nick Kyrgios you would not be surprised to see him just swan up to play a top 10 player on any given day and 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 yeah, surprise us and and get the win. Um, yeah, my main hope for the Great Ocean Road Open with him was just that he stayed injury-free. Um, even if he just won his first round match and then went out to a lesser player in the second round, but looked like he had plenty in the tank for the Australian Open, then I'd be happy with that. And then, um, yeah, because as you say, yeah, he'll definitely be prioritising that slam. The second player that I just wanted us to talk about is Dan Evans. Um not involved in any of the tournaments this week. Had a brilliant 2020, definitely the best year of his career. Um, was unlucky not to win his first ATP Tour title, I'd have to say. And that's got to be the goal for him this season. Um, maybe it can be at the Great Ocean Road Open. I know he had a, an excellent start to the 2020 season in that little Australian uh, swing. So what are your expectations for Dan Evans this year? Similar question to Kyrgios, I, I mean... I think we can trust Evans to be a lot more organised and um, prepared and yeah, meticulous about his game than, than the Australian. So, yeah, where's the bar for Evans this year? Obviously, he's at an age now where we can't be saying maybe in four or five years he'll, he'll reach. You know, it, it's kind of now, next year or never for, for Dan Evans, it feels like. Um, so, yeah, where's the, where's the bar for the Brit? Um, just very quickly, I just want to make one very quick point about Kyrgios. Just seeing he ranked at 46 at the moment, so he will go into that Australian Open as an unseeded player, meaning a player like Nadal, Djokovic, Team Medvedev could get him in the first round of the Australian Open. I think that is the one first round draw that no seeded players will want to get, and I'll, I'll be really looking forward to see who Kyrgios does get in the first round of that draw. As for Dan Evans... Um, as you say, a little bit older now. Um, I'm, 
I'm not, I don't know his age off the top of my head. I'm thinking about 32, 33. Looks like you might know. No? He's definitely younger than that. I mean, this is quite poor from me, but I think he's about 29, 30. Um, I don't think he's definitely not 32, 33. Surely not. 30. 30. My bad. 30. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, obviously at 30 years old, um, it's going to be harder to back the years up when you've had really good years. When you have young players who have really good years, you expect them to keep progressing. Whereas I think when you do get into the sort of second half of your career, it does become harder to back those performances up. It was an amazing year for Dan Evans uh, in 2020. And the rank, the new rankings were all with players keeping their ranking points from 2019. It's definitely not done Dan Evans any favours. You know, you've got players like Matteo Berrettini uh, still ranked at number 10 when you'd think if we were going off last year's rankings, Evans would be a lot higher than him with Berrettini not really having many good results at all last year. Uh, Evans currently at 32nd, uh, so just about high enough to be ranked at a Grand Slam. Um, but I, I definitely still think there's further for him to go. I've always said that you know he's got a lot of potential when he plays his best, probably you know, top 20 potential, whether he can still do that at his age and especially some of the players that are coming up. You know, you look at players around him in the rankings, you've got Herkashk, a player who will come on and talk about in a second. Uh, later on, sorry, in this podcast, you've got Yannick Sinner, um, Kasper Ruud and Ugo Umber, all ranked sort of within a few spaces of Evans. And you'd all think that they're going to be moving up the rankings a bit quicker than Evans because of their youth and, and because of the expectations on them. So it will be hard for Evans to get a top 20 space uh, if it's still possible. But I, I definitely still think there's a chance for him to progress this year. I think he played fantastic tennis over the Battle of the Brits expeditions as well in 2020, which obviously don't count towards his ranking. So I think overall in 2020, he had a much, much, much better year than things like his rankings and record in terms of titles and wins actually show. Yeah, definitely. For me, I think when Dan Evans looks back on his career and if he hasn't won an ATP tour title, he'd be disappointed. Um, you know, he's definitely made at least one final, maybe maybe more. Um, so, yeah, came close last year. I think that's got to be the goal for this year amongst anything else. We haven't really seen him bring his best game in the slams. He's been quite disappointed in slams, to be honest, for me. Um, I think he went out to Yoshihito Nishioka in the first round of the Australian last year. First or second round, it must have been. Um, so, yeah, hopefully he can bring his game to the five-set format. But no, for me, I'm just thinking, can he win a title? You know, we've seen the likes of John Milman, Yuri Vesely win ATP Tour titles last year. Players that aren't as good as Dan Evans on his day. So, yeah, that's that's got to be the goal for Evans. Ranking, I take that out of the equation as much. Um, because I think we saw an incredible level of consistency from Evans last year, but he would trade that for the for the titles, for the silverware. Um, so, yeah, I'm not, not concerned about his ranking too much. I'm just hoping he can find the right draw and uh, lift, lift an ATP Tour title, whether that's at 250, 500, or a pipe dream, maybe even Masters 1000 level. Um, moving on to just the last player and another great entertainer in the sports, Dan Vavrenka, we're going to see for the first time in 2021 at the Great Ocean Road Open. Obviously schooled Andy Murray in the French Open and had quite a 
quite a good tournament. Really entertaining player on, on his day and one that is ageing, so we're going to have to enjoy him while we can. Um, you have to say Stan goes in as one of the favourites for the tournament. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he'll be the number one seed of the tournament. I think he's the highest ranked player uh, there. Possibly not, uh, but I, I think he is. Um, yeah, Ravrinka, obviously, he's nearly 36 now. He'll be 36 in a couple of months. Um, but we all know the bags of potential he's got. He's a player that, um, you know, when he hits the ball well, he really, he's one of the best hitters of the ball you know, the game seen in, in the last decade or so. The way he's won Grand Slams uh, in the past, I, it's some of the most breathtaking tennis I've ever seen. Unfortunately, he's just had a problem with consistency. He's also had um, some injuries of recent, but he did definitely show promise at the end of uh, the 2020 year. Um, obviously, comfortably beating Andy Murray, who... You know, of course, Murray's had his own problems, but Murray certainly showed when he came back that uh, he's got potential to to still challenge good players like Ravrinka. So uh, a very impressive performance from Ravrinka there, and I think it's very interesting to see what uh, 2021 will will hold for him. I do, I know in our first ever podcast, I did sort of have that uh, thought that some players, a bit older players like you, sort of Ravrinka, and probably what we're seeing with Songa now. Um, they might not have been as motivated to sort of come back to the sport because they obviously they've had a really good career. Um, and obviously with all this time off, it was a good time for them to sort of just stay at home, spend time with their family, which is what we're seeing with Songa. But Ravrinka is definitely a sort of player who's showing that he really does still want to come back. He still believes that he can win titles. And I still believe he could definitely win titles. I, I don't know if I'm going to say he could win another Grand Slam, but I certainly think he could uh, get far and, and ruffle the feathers of you sort of Djokovic's, you Nadal's. Know, uh, if a draw opens up well for him, you could definitely see him going deep into these tournaments. As, as, in terms of like a goal of the year, um, for him, I think making a Grand Slam semi-final this year would be brilliant. I, I think that could be realistic if he plays really well. Uh, and and just depends where the draws open up. But again, as I say, you know he's nearly 36 years old, uh, so you never really know how the fitness is going to last. And with all of these young players coming up, it could be that this year we do see a slight fall from Ravrinka, which would be a massive shame because uh, he's a phenomenal player. Yeah, at his age, it's a player that I expect to sort of tailor their schedule towards peaking at Grand Slams and just being able to give their their best tennis and their best fitness at the Grand Slams. I'd always treasure the Stan Wawrinka backhand. I think I'll remember that for as long as I follow tennis. I, I The best backhand I've ever seen on any player um, is that of Stan Wawrinka. So, yeah, hopefully there'll be plenty more of that to see this year. It's that one he plays in the French Open final against uh, Djokovic when he's running out to the side and uh, he hits it and it's lower than the net but it goes around the net and ends up catching the singles line it's one of the most breathtaking shots I've ever seen in tennis yeah let's not take it for granted yeah um yeah my main message on Stan is let's just enjoy him while we can this year and uh, hopefully he can stay fit for as for, for as much of the year as he possibly can uh, moving on to the Murray River Open 
And I start with a player who's been quite frustrating. Um, it seems like he's in danger of not fulfilling the expectations, his potential that he's clearly shown in his career so far. I'm talking about Karen Hatchinov of Russia. He's 24 now, which has sort of caught me by surprise. I remember when he was sort of challenging to break into sort of top 30, top 20 at the age of 21, 22. Now he's 24. He's won a Masters 1000, beating Novak Djokovic in the final. Um, so he, he's shown that he can do it, but he's still only 20 in the world and he's, has struggled really to consistently challenge for titles, as we've seen his compatriots in Andre Rublev and, and Daniil Medvedev go on to do. Um, he's a player who, yeah, I see is in danger of, of flattering to deceive. He really needs to get a hold of the tour, be more consistent. Um, he's, he has been a player that you'll see have sort of one, one or two very impressive runs in, in a season, and that's where the bulk of their ranking points maybe come from. Um, the ability is clear to see. Um, I'd say his ceiling of Karen Hatchinov sky's the limit grand slam champion if he could really really put it together and develop you know 24 i say i say 24 like it's it's old but it's still got plenty of time um so yeah just a, just an interesting player who we've expected more from in the last few years and hopefully seeing his younger countrymen in medvedev and rublev go on to achieve such such success particularly last year will spur him on a bit and Hopefully he can be more consistent. Consistent is the main word of the main thing I want to see from him this year. What about you? Yeah, I have to agree. Um, I think 2020 was definitely the year where he sort of fell behind, as you say, his two compatriots. Rublev had an absolutely breathtaking year. Uh, his cruise up the rankings, all of those titles he won. I can't remember how many titles it was he won now last year, but it was an insane amount. I think it was more than, than any player on the tour. Uh, Medvedev, of course, winning the ATP finals at the end of the year and, and doing it in spectacular fashion. And yeah, hatching off, we just didn't really see a lot from in 2020, especially since the restart. Um, he ended the year on three straight losses uh, to Dan Evans, Dimitrov and Davidovich Fakina. All very good players in their right. But uh, I think... Where we want, where we wanted to see Hatchinoff about now, and the ability that he was showing a couple of years ago, I think it was, would have been a real shame to hear a stat like that. Um, his last win of last year, he made it really tough for himself uh, and lost a set uh, to the world number five hundred and twenty-eight. You know, so I think it definitely stats there that just show maybe perhaps a little bit lack of confidence. Maybe it has been hard for him to see his compatriots doing a lot better than him and not sort of fulfilling what they've said. But um, I do remember him. I remember his match against Djokovic at the French Open last year. And although Djokovic won it in straight sets, Hatchinov played a, a breathtaking match. And it was, it was a really good performance from him. So I think I'm not too worried about him. As you say, you, you think consistency should be the, the main key for him. I would agree. Um, he's got four titles in his career already. I don't really think... Winning more titles this year is is sort of the the goal for him. I think it has to be consistency and and perhaps pushing his ranking up. He's got a career high of eight a couple of years ago, so potentially he could maybe try and push on that a little bit. He's certainly uh, you know he's ranked twentieth. It's not out of the question for him to string together a few results and try and put pressure on that top ten again. But um, 
yeah, I think it would just be really important for Hatchinoff, especially in the first half of this year, not to regress any further and just build on where he is. And if he can have a positive start to 2020, uh, 2021, then I think uh, that's just going to be good enough for him. I think we can hopefully see him kicking on because there's no denying the bags of ability he's got. I think the ability and potential that he's got comes as close to Medvedev and Rublev. He's a fantastic player. It's just about applying that and, and getting the results on court. Yeah, I agree. I agree totally. I think um, I like what you say about similarly just needing a fresh slate, just stop the rot, stop the regression. Um, and yeah, hopefully a, a, a fresh start to a, to a new year can give him that and that can be his, the platform really for him to demonstrate the, the brilliant player that we know he is um, on the court. And that can start at the Murray River Open, fingers crossed. Um, the next player that I wanted to talk about was a, a lower ranked player than the players that we've talked about so far in the lead up to these events and it's Vasek Pospisil of Canada um, maybe you could argue that he showed a bit of promise at a similar age to Karen Hatchinov and then fell away whether it was due to injury or other things it wasn't it wasn't as prominent or or uh, consistent he didn't win the titles that Hatchinov's already won but 30 years old the Canadian 61 in the world which is no great shakes However, towards the back end of last year, we saw some really excellent form from him. This was a player who, in his early 20s, he got, got to a few main tour semi-finals, finals. He might have won a title. Um, and was really, you know, it was a player that you, you thought would be in and around the top 30, top 20 for the rest of his career. However, due to injuries and poor form, we've seen him operate a lot outside the top 100 in, that, in the previous sort of six, seven, eight years. Um, but now looks in the best form that he's been since those, um, well, early early showings of potential at the start of his career. So you've got Pospisil, he got to the final in Sofia and gave Yannick Sinner an excellent match, who will come on to um, soon in, in that final. And yeah, it's just a player who has got a great physique, a great serve, a great forehand, um, and his movement's been better than ever in, at the back end of back end of 2020 is one of those players that really kicked on after lockdown, um, which was obviously hard to predict, but you know, he's someone that has really, really shown his best form in a very long time, which at 30 years old, maybe that you could say sometimes that's the peak years of a tennis player. Sometimes it's just past the peak, um, but players develop at different rates and he definitely comes into this year in, in greater shape than we've seen in, in a very long time. Um, so I, for one, am excited about Vesek Pospa. So I was disappointed we didn't get to see him in Antalya or Delray Beach. I feel like he would have come in as one of the favourites, one of those events. Um, given his career so far, I could be bigging him up to to fail somewhat. You know, he hasn't he hasn't produced the form on a consistent basis um, to suggest that he's gonna gonna well push up into the back into that top thirty this year, which is what I could definitely see him doing. And I think. Yeah, if if he can channel that form from the back end of last year, I think top thirty is definitely realistic for the Canadian. Yeah, had a really good year last year. Uh, made two finals, uh, one of them actually being in February uh, in Montpellier, um, before obviously the first lockdown, and then the one that you mentioned in Sofia. Um, never won a career title, but uh, had made one other final, but that was back in twenty fourteen. So really showing, you know, a six year gap that is between your your first and second tour titles really show uh, sort of the, the break in uh, the, the the gap that he had and it was mainly to do with injury I believe I think he did have quite a few injury problems uh, but a player that uh, 
certainly has got a lot of ability, as you say, 30 years old. He's got definitely still more, a few, quite a few more years left. Um, he's he's put on some really good performances, as you say, certainly since lockdown. Um, as you say, beating John Millman uh, on the route and then giving Yannick Sinner a really good final in Sofia. I think possibly still for me, you say top 30, I think. I think he's good enough, but I just think there's so many good players now coming up. There's so many players pushing that top 30. Now, I personally don't think we'll see Pospa still get there. I think he should be aiming for it. Don't get me wrong. I think that definitely should be his aim. But I think without that ATP Tour title, I think that's possibly the biggest thing for him. Perhaps a little bit like a Dan Evans. You know, he's at um, a similar age or with the same age as Dan Evans. Uh, similar in the sense that they've probably got more ability than they've actually been able to put to practice uh, on, on paper uh, throughout their careers. I think Evans was talked about a lot, you know, as a youngster and he really didn't develop until a lot later in his career. And obviously we're seeing the same thing with Vasek Pospisil. So I think for Pospisil being ranked a little bit lower than Evans, I think maybe he would want to push on a little bit in the rankings. But I do think getting that title, which he's come close to three times now, uh, would be a big priority for him. Yeah, definitely in, in similar situations than Dan Evans, but obviously quite a bit lower down on the ranking. So the last player that we're going to have a talk about in the lead up to this event is possibly the most exciting player on the whole ATP Tour. I've seen many people tipping him to break into the top 10 this year, which is steep for a 19-year-old, but he's definitely shown the potential, got to the quarterfinal of the French Open, and that is Yannick Sinner of Italy. The 19-year-old has risen to 36 in the rankings, which is a stunning achievement, obviously, winning his first ATP Tour title right at the end of 2020. Um, so, yeah, let's just talk expectations for the year. Um, obviously, we probably haven't seen enough of Sinner, really, to get a, a complete picture. We haven't seen him put a full season together, which naturally at 19 is not a surprise. Um, so, for me, I, th I think whether... He can he can stay fit and play week in week out and push into the closing exchanges of tournaments like we see the likes of Sitsipas, Sasha Zverev do. Whether he's got the physicality to handle that on a week in week out basis across the course of a season is still a big question mark for me. But on raw ability, yeah, I know you've got a little bit bigger, um, but for me, I, I think top fifteen, so slightly more conservative but um yeah I think we'll see Yannick Sinner push the top 15 this year and add to his one ATP tour title what about you uh, for me I'm saying top 10 minimum uh I'm Yannick Sinner someone I was really excited about the whole of post lockdown I think he's so good uh, I, I think I know we've all felt this way don't get me wrong I know you look at sort of the likes of Sitsipas Zverev um, and and team but obviously team you know has nearly got there now uh, but especially with Sitsipas and Zverev well, there's all been a point where we've sat there and we thought he's the man who in like two years time is going to be winning the Grand Slams he's going to be world number one in a few years time etc and, and they haven't been able to do that mainly because People like Djokovic and Nadal just won't retire and stop playing well. Um, I think for me though, Sinner, I just I just feel so excited about him. I think he's so good. I think he's got a brilliant all-round playing style. 
Um, he he just he, he's got um he's got the mental edge over Zverev and Tsitsipas on court as well. He's very 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 level headed player. I, I don't often see too much um, emotion and anger on his face when he's playing, which I think sometimes for players does work. But um, we've seen, I think, with certainly with Zverev, it, it doesn't. He can quite often get himself down on court. And I don't think we've seen it yet. He's at risk of doing that. But obviously, there is there is the danger that he might not start this year as well as he ended last year. And, and maybe that might play a really, uh, really big sort of mental toll on him and he might get very frustrated at that. But, but personally, I would like to see Sinner in the top 10 at the end of the year, hopefully top eight to see him at the finals. Um, or if he's nine, he's got a good chance of getting into the finals because you normally get someone who pulls out injured. Um, also, Grand Slam, I would like, not not win a Grand Slam, um, but I would like to see Sinner do well in Grand Slams. I can't think, correct me if I'm wrong, but oh, of course, he got to the uh, quarterfinals of the French last year. Um, I can't remember how he did at the US Open. You might be able to fill in on that, Marcus, um, if you remember. But um, I think I would quite like to see Sinner in more Grand Slam quarterfinals and I'm going to say I'd like to see him in a semi-final. I think, I believe he's a Wimbledon junior winner. Um, am I right in saying that? Do you know? Sinner or Wimbledon? No, maybe not. I might have got that wrong. Um, I think, no, sorry, he didn't play juniors. Just ignore that. Um, he didn't play much junior tennis. But uh, he, yeah, I'd I, I like to see him definitely get to a semi-final this year of a Grand Slam. Uh, as well as pushing into the top 10. So that's my very uh, long extended prediction for Sinner. Yeah, Yannick Sinner, definitely a player that's going to be talked about a lot by everyone covering tennis. And I think the excitement is definitely shared across across uh, across all of all of the media, all of the losers like us that want to, want to talk about it. Um, so... That's our that's our predict, uh, previews of, of of some of the entrants in those two tournaments that will kick off on the thirty first of January. So moving on to the finals that we saw in Antalya and Delray Beach, the first two tournaments of the year. And it was a great start to the year for Alex de Minor, who started 2021 similarly to he did 2020. He obviously likes the first few months of the year. He beat Alexander Bublik. Well, Alexander Bublik retired after two games, which meant Alex de Minor won the final in Antalya. And then you had Hubert Hercash beat the impressive American Sebastian Corda, the 20-year-old, who's clearly going to see a huge rise in the rankings from 119, um, having made the final in Delray Beach. But to start with Antalya, um, obviously the final didn't materialise, maybe in the way that we would have liked it to. Um, it, I'm not surprised that Alexander Bublik's been probably quite cautious. He said he felt his ankle um, in that match, so to quit after two games is not a surprise given that we've got the Australian Open around the corner, Bublik Hardcourt is is his best surface. He's had some decent results on grass, but Hardcourt is definitely his best surface. So the Australian Open provides one of the biggest opportunities of the year to get those big points to uh, push him up the rankings. So a really ex- a good week for the Kazakhstani player, but 
Di Minore is the man. He wins the title. He's got quite a nice uh, set of titles to his name just at the age of 21, Alex Di Minore. Um, he's 23 in the rankings. Obviously, he'll probably go up maybe one or two, maybe three places with that this two, 250 title. Um, so, yeah, what what's our expectations of the year for Alex Di Minore? I think he, he's got a knack of winning these tournaments at 250 level. Um, often you see players compete better in the Masters matches, in the, in the Grand Slam matches against better players. But Dimonor definitely, obviously, sat 23 in the rankings now is a player who, against players with lower rank than him, I think he beat David Goffin in the semi-final of this, but apart from that, all the players that he played would have been lower than him in the rankings. Um, and he, yeah, he, he finds it quite easy to, to win when he comes in as favourite, which is definitely ability that is going to take him a long way in his career. Yeah, I draw a lot of parallels between Alex Dimoneur and uh, Daniel Medvedev, obviously being a few years ahead of Dimoneur, but um, Medvedev was very much a player. I think he's got a host of 250 titles. Um, you know, he, he was winning them quite early, probably at about the same age that uh, Dimoneur is. I, I want to say Medvedev's got sort of five or six possibly to his name. Um, and I think... That is really important because we've seen how that has materialised with Medvedev. Obviously, we've been winning the ATP Tour Finals last year. He's been a Grand Slam finalist now. Um, really looks like a player who who is going to march on. I think Dimoneur uh, has a very nice all-round game. Uh, he's not too reliant on one element of his game, which is always a really good indicator for a player who wants to go forward and become one of the world's best, which I certainly think Dimoneur could become, uh, being at just the same age as us. I think he's just a few days younger than me. Uh, so, you know, that's always a little bit gutting when you see someone a few days younger than you uh, doing things that you could only dream of doing. Um, but yeah, I think really exciting if we're going to go with the same sort of vibe that we've been doing with the other players and putting sort of a prediction on the year. I'd like to see Dimon, um He made a quarter final at the US Open last year, I believe. And, uh, I'd like to see him get to more quarterfinals this year in slams and, you know, potentially even push to a semi. Could be quite hard. Uh, but, yeah, just really push on this year. Uh, talking about Alexander Bublik, um, as you say, uh, you know, I think when you play these tournaments um, just before a Grand Slam, you know, if you look at something like Queen's, if you make the final of one of those tournaments, although the final should be at the forefront of what you're thinking, at the back of your mind, you're also going to be thinking, well, I'm in amazing form ahead of this Grand Slam. And I think Bublik could definitely be thinking that. You know, he's had a really good week. Um, I know we did pick him to get to the final, but uh, he still was not expected to get there in terms of sort of the, the seedings and, and the bookies. Uh, so I think... Um, He'll certainly be thinking in that final, you know, I'm not going to risk anything. And it will be great to see him go on and get fit again for the Australian Open. And hopefully we can see him uh, get a good draw in that. Because I think, again, I, I, he won't be seeded at the uh, Australian Open. Uh, so that's also a horrible first round draw for, you know, the likes of a perhaps saying Djokovic is a bit too far. I would expect Djokovic to win that quite comfortably, but it's a horrible draw for someone sort of just outside the top 10 to get as their, their first round. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, just back on to Dimonoi, does he does strike me. I'm going to label him now. It's quite a big term, but he does strike me as a bit of a David Ferrer type player. I think 
the, the style reminds me a little bit. He hasn't produced it on the clay courts, of course, but um, the, the the big man, the, the the smaller man who can really uh, compete with with the bigger guys on tour due to his endeavor, anticipation, skill, um, and and power. You know, he's a lot more powerful than he looks, Alex Dimonor. Um, he did make the quarterfinal of the U.S. Open last year which did slip my mind a little bit obviously it was a slightly weakened draw but still a good achievement so he's proven that he can get through those five set matches and yeah I think he's a player who will be looking to push for top 10 this year push definitely definitely top 15 uh, he's proven that he's got the consistency um, so yeah, yeah good vibes about Alex Dimonor at the start of this 2021 season into Delray Beach and a big win for Hubert Hercash uh, Dimonor's got the four titles now Hercash, this was his second, and he did well to beat Sebastian Corder in straight sets. It must be said the American was um, struggling a little bit of a groin injury in most of the second set, really. So it, it didn't become the spectacle that we might have wanted it to, but Hubert Hercash was definitely very impressive in the win. He went to break down in the first set and then won five or f- four or five games on the trot to seal it 6-3. So very impressive from the pole. It was as we've spoken just uh, pre-podcast, that it was he did have an easier run to the final. Yeah, he beat Daniel uh, Elahi Galan Riveros, who's more of a clay player in his first match after getting a bye. Then Roberto Quiros, who is a mainly a challenger player and a clay player um, in his preferred surface as well, the Ecuadorian player. And then obviously beating Christian Harrison, who's outside the world's top 700 in the semi-final. Um, whereas Corda was more impressive in his wins, beating Kwon Soon Woo, Tommy Paul, John Isner and Cameron Norrie on his way to the final. Um, it was an impressive win for Hubert Hercash in the end. Not too much of a surprise. Sets himself up for a good year. He's definitely a player who will be looking to kick on. You know, He's been a player that's been sat outside that top 30 for quite a while now and would be looking to make that next step. Maybe he can start winning titles at 500 level rather than, rather than 250 and we can see him push for that top 20 spot. I'm still quite a young player, and I think he's 23, 24. But Corder's got to be the surprise package of the week. Uh, I know I had him to go out to Tommy Paul in, in, in the predictions. I think you had, you had similar. So he sort of caught us a bit by surprise, come a little bit under the radar. So um, what, have, what have you made of him this week? Yeah, fantastic week for Sebastian Corder. And I think as you touched upon there, um, certainly fatigue was a factor in that final. We did look quite fatigued playing. Obviously, he had that groin injury, which I'm sure was as a result of the long matches he played. You know, he had to fight back from a set down against Tommy Paul, who's a very good player and had a very good year last year. Um, Having to play a three-set match against John Isner is a very tiring thing. You know, running around chasing Serbs pretty much. I mean, I'm assuming that match was a couple of hours or or certainly an hour and a half plus. Uh, so certainly a um, a really good week for him. Uh, beating Cameron Norrie after those two free set matches, you know, in straight sets is very impressive. Cameron Norrie, a player who, as we said on the last pod, is certainly below in the rankings where he could be and, and the level where he shows. Uh, so I'm very excited about Sebastian Corder. As I said on the last pod, it's someone that I didn't really know about at all until after the first lockdown and he's really kicked on since and yeah I, I'm really excited to see where he could go hopefully that groin injury is just minor and he doesn't carry it for too long and he can come into the Australian Open uh, because again you know I'll add, I'll add him to the list of 
horrible first round draws for seeded players to get because Calder won't be in uh, a, seed, a seeded player at the tournament. And, you know, that's a player that no one really wants to be getting. Um, as for her cash, uh, as, as you say, a player who, you know, I think he's maybe 23, 24 now in terms of age. Um, and he, as you say, he's been around a little while, um, sort of knocking on the door of that top 30, but perhaps not progressing as much in the last couple of years. I won't really take a lot from this week. I don't want to take it away from him. But when you read out that list of opponents, Galan, Quiros and Harris, I would say that all four opponents that Corda played en route to that final are better players than those three. That, that, that might be a little bit harsh. Um, but I do can definitely see how her cash had a lot more in the tank in that final. And if Corda had a groin injury, perhaps wasn't even really pushed in that final. So, you know, I, I don't want to take it away from her cash. It's a title, you know, titles speak a lot. Um, and it looks good on his record, a second title. But I, I am cautious to sort of get too optimistic for him. So far, I think we need to see a bit more to back it up. I, I think he's playing next week in... Uh, I can't remember which one it is he's playing. Uh, sorry, not next week. It'll be the end of the month. So um, I think that will be a better indicator to see the form that he's in and, and where that can get him because he'll be coming up against players a similar ranking to him because he, he wouldn't have played... He didn't play anyone really that close to his ranking at all this week. Yeah, I've agreed with you already too much in this episode. But yeah, I think you're spot on... Um... Yeah, we can't take too much from this. He's still got a lot to prove, um, but still, kudos is a, is a good title for Hubert Hercash. Just another player I wanted to bring up, um, which is Christian Harrison, who's 26 years old. We hadn't re- properly seen him on the tour, and it was probably mainly on the Challenger Tour since he was 23. He's had two and a half years off with injury, and then he makes his way to an ATP main tour semi-final, beating um, some, some decent players on the way. Christian Garin, who's a multiple title winner um you know beating Jean-Luc Maguire who had looked good as well um so I was just thinking this a small sample size however I've been very impressed this week from Harrison I think some of the lung busting rallies he's been able to um compete in um given his time off the court um has been very impressive and I for one definitely think he'll beat his career high, which is just inside the top 200 this year, if he can stay fit, which may be a big if, um, given his, given his, his record over the years. Um, and just not a flattering comparison, but one that I think might be a more realistic aim for him is I think his style and his build and yeah, his manner on court is quite similar to that of Dennis Cudler, who is just two years older than Christian Harrison, who has been mixing it in the bottom 50 of the top 100 for quite a few years I think he's just outside it now has a career high of 53 I think that's something realistic for Harrison to aim for you know I think if he stays fit and produces the form that he showed in Delray Beach giving it a bit of a weakened field there's no doubt in my mind that he gets the top 150 and and gets close to breaking into the top 100 this year so maybe not a player we're going to be talking about loads Um, you know I think he was a wild card. Oh, no, no, sorry. It was a qualifier, I'm pretty sure, into Delray Beach. So maybe if he can keep uh, qualifying onto these main tour events that he might uh, eke into the conversation a little more. But yeah, just definitely someone that deserves a, a bit of time and a bit of, uh, 
bit of praise for their uh, breakthrough week on the main tour, you'd have to say. Yeah, I think um, it's a testament to any player when they have so long off of court to come back and to be able to do something like this, no matter what level of, of tournament it is. And, it, you know, it's not even a challenger tournament, which is what you expect Harrison will be playing a bit more of this year. Um, obviously playing this tournament as his home tournament this week and, and getting the wild card. Um Oh no, no, he qualified. I think. Did he? I think he qualified. I'm not sure. He was even a qualifier or a wild card. Um, yeah, no, I, th- I think he did qualify. He had quite a few wins at uh, this tournament. So, um, yeah, fantastic for him. I think um, comparing him to a Dennis Cudler, potentially, you know, you could maybe see that as a, a bit unfair. Cudler is, you know, he hasn't been ranked inside the top 100 now for a couple of years, actually. Um, quite a good doubles player as well um but potentially more realistic i think you don't really want to be stamping top 100 on a player who has had so many injuries uh like harrison has uh, and again you know you can't take too much from one tournament but uh, hopefully uh he can push on and hopefully we can see him going deeper into some of these 250 tournaments again throughout the year and doing well on the Challenger Tour and I think as you say I think 150 is a, a good goal for him um, but, but it is easier to move up the rankings um, sort of outside the top 100 the sort of boundaries between the, the gaps in players are sort of much smaller so presumably this week I don't know not looking at the rankings but I'm presuming come the next rankings thing if they still do it on Mondays next week I'm assuming he'll jump sort of he might even half what his ranking role was. I don't know. He might even sort of get into the top 300 after that. So, um, yeah, I, I think top 150 is a good aim for him. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. Yeah, good week. And, um, yeah, hopefully we'll be talking about him a little bit more as the season progresses. That concludes our verdict on Delray Beach and Antalya. Um, definitely two in tournaments that I, I enjoyed and, and, and I'm relieved that the season's now back underway. Um, so yeah, just to finish off the episode, as always, Michael's prepared a guess the player. Okay, um, right, the first clue so, guess the player, uh, five clues, and you have to guess who the player is, play along at home. Uh, so, clue number one, my career high is 17. 17, solid player, um, but also doesn't give too much away. Career high 17. Philip Kohlschreiber. It's probably not a bad shout. Uh, I, Kohlschreiber very much a sort of uh, one of those players, a sort of David Goffin sort of player, always around, but never really bringing the tour to life. Uh, sorry, a little bit harsh, Philip. Uh, but no, not Cole Schreiber. Uh, the second clue, I've never been past the fourth round of a Grand Slam. You like these ones. You love giving me someone who's never done it at a Slam, but has got quite a good ranking. Um, never past fourth round. Interesting. 
Again, Coach Driver is probably not a bad one for that one yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. The Coach Driver fits that pretty well <laughs> thing. I think he might have got further at Wimbledon once, but yeah. Yeah, I think he's made a quarter. Um, let's go for Luca Pui. Uh, no, it's not Luca Pui. I think, didn't Pui make a Australian semi? Potentially, maybe. Yeah, I think, I think Federer and Poi was a Aussie semi and maybe like 2016 or 17, I think so. But uh, no, not, not Poi. Um, okay, I don't know what clue to do next because I've got one which might not be that helpful, but if you know it, which you definitely might, you'll just get this player straight away. So I'm, I'm not going to do this clue yet. I'll go for... I have made ATP Tour tight. Uh, sorry, ATP Tour finals on hard clay and grass courts. So they've been in ATP World uh, Tour finals on all three surfaces, uh, and I think one of them was indoors as well. So pretty much all across the board. Fair enough. Um, still, it's not narrowing it down that much for me. But clearly an all-rounder, so, you know, consistent player on the tour. Who managed to creep up the rankings quite nicely. Let's go for Nikolas Basilashvili. Again, good guess. Uh, probably does fit those, those uh, clues, but it's not Basilashvili. Good guess. So this fourth clue, again, as I say, might not help you at all. But if you know it, which you very much might uh it, you could get it uh so for those who don't know marcus well he's a bit of an ernest gulbis fan uh so the next clue is i lost to ernest gulbis in round one of last year's australian open Ooh. <laughs> I, I should know this first round i'm gonna kick myself if i don't get this I'd, it's not springing to mind if I'm honest. Um, fourth round at Slams. Good win for God. The thing is, Gorbis has showed up a little bit in Slams in recent years. I think he he beat Del Potro at Wimbledon not so long ago. Probably thinking sort of 2016, 17 then, but it was still way after he'd he'd, he'd fallen away completely. Um, uh, it's not springing to mind really, so I'm going to have to. Put another guess in um, based on the other clues that you've given me. All three surfaces final, but then played the Australian Open in 2020. Career high 17. I'm not so sure. 17, fourth round at a slam. Right, I'm going to bank on Jeremy Shardy having a decent day out on a grass court, which I'm not sure has ever happened. But let's go with Jeremy Shardy. Yeah, again, probably not a bad guess, uh, but not Shardy. Now, clue five, again, is is a bit of a similar clue to the last one, but I think you should remember this one. Uh, I beat Andy Murray in the second round of last year's US Open. So the match after Murray somehow beat Nishioka from being two sets down. Yep. Okay. For those who can't see, Marcus is pulling very animated faces as he tries to remember. Ooh. Felix just popped into my head, which 
maybe. He's done well on all surfaces. 17 sounds about right. But I think I might be confusing that with Felix beating Murray at the Western Southern Open, which happened just before the US. Not 100% sure. Um, Tour finals on all three surfaces. I'm pretty certain that's right. I'm pretty sure he's done that. Career high 17 is roughly, sounds decent. Never passed a fourth rounder slam. Yeah, he hasn't done that. But I don't even know if he's got to the fourth round. So you saying that suggests that they've made a fourth round, which I don't think Felix has. Losing to Golbis first round Australian Open. It's something that wouldn't surprise me. But I don't, that's not triggering any memories. I remember him beating Murray in one of these American swing hardcore tournaments around the US Open time. I'm just worried if I'm confusing it with Western and Southern Open. Uh, I don't want to get this wrong. So I'm going to take a little bit more time to think about it and players that Murray lost to. Should know that really. Remember the Nishioka game. But who did he lose to? Felix is still the main name that stands out. So to avoid uh, embarrassment, if I end up talking myself out of Felix, I'm going to have to go for Felix or Gianni Do you think you're right, though? You're saying it, but I think you're in a lot of doubt. <sighs> I remember him beating Murray around that time. I remember he's definitely got to finals on all three surfaces. He's definitely never got past the fourth round. And seven on a scale, on a scale of one to ten, how confident you are you with Felix? Like six. Okay, you going with it? Final answer. Yeah, final answer. Yeah, you're correct. Get in. You are, Yeah, you are correct. Um, that fourth round of the Slam came at last year's U.S. Open. Uh, beat Andy Murray in that. Second round, then went on to absolutely thrash Quarantine Mute, only dropping five games and then lost in straight sets to the eventual winner, Dominic Team. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, Auger Aliassime, career high of 17, as I say, currently ranked 21st, still very much in there. And a player who uh, we haven't spoken about in this episode, uh, one of many young players coming up. Just I'll put it back to you very quickly, Marcus. I know Felix is one of your favourite players. And this is why I thought the Ernest Gorbis clue might be a real real giveaway because obviously they're probably two of your favourite players on tour. Um, but if you were to give a very quick prediction on what you'd like to see from Phoenix this year, uh, what would you say? I'll go for, I'd quite like to see him in a quarterfinal of a Grand Slam and ending the year top 13. Okay, I'm going to take a similar path that I've said for, for Dan Evans. Um, Felix has lost in six or seven ATP Tour type, uh, finals true. and never won one. So I think he's got to get that monkey off his back before anything. Um, you know, get, get into finals, is, is, unless, it, unless he had a massive run at a slam, which I can't really see this year anyway, would, um, would push him up the rankings anyway. So... That immediate thing, the first thing that he's got to get is a tour title. He's more than good enough to win it at 250 level, even 500 level for me, if he can produce his best tennis. So 
I can't really see anything past that. You know, if, if the wait for a tour title goes on, I can't see him achieving any of those further goals. So I think, you know, he's got to nip that in the bud and get that sort of hoodoo over, much like Sheffield United beat in Newcastle the other night. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have to say, hopefully he wins a tour title. And, yeah, push top 10 would be a good season for Felix. A likening Felix Auger-Halliassime to Sheffield United is something I didn't think I'd be hearing on this pod. Uh, still only 20 years old, born in August, so he's still going to be 20 for quite a while this year. Um I agree with what you're saying, but I do think, you know, he would like to keep that ranking up. You wouldn't want to see him win a title, but then come the end of the year, be ranked outside the top 50. But uh, I sure we wouldn't be seeing that from him. Uh, So, yeah, no, I agree. Um, Even though he's 20 years old, six finals to lose in all of them, and especially, as I say, across all the surfaces as well, it shows a lot of promise, but also uh, that potentially he's got a little... uh, mental barrier to get across in the final of tournaments yeah so uh final note on on felix uh definitely a player that i'm looking forward to seeing a lot more of this year that concludes the episode bit of a bumper one um so yeah that that concludes the episode we won't be back for probably a little while until the tournaments in australia get underway that's on the 31st of january um We'll let you know. You can stay up to date on our Twitter page at Tennis Fanlist to see um, what we're up to and what what our plans are. Big thanks to Michael as always for joining me. Um, yeah, hope you hope you're doing all right in uh, sunny Bournemouth. Sunny, but not so sunny. Uh, not so sunny, but always windy Bournemouth. Uh, but obviously, being stuck indoors all the time doesn't matter. Just very quickly, I did want to say one thing on this podcast. Um, a big congratulations to uh, Francesca Jones, who's qualified for the Australian Open. She's only 20 years old. Uh, Brit, don't know if you saw this, Marcus, but uh, George Belshaw tweeted a couple of days ago. Um, she has, I think, six fingers and seven toes and was told that because of this, she'd never make it as a professional tennis player. But at the age of 20, has made her first ever Grand Slam main draw. So massive kudos to her. Um, and yeah, other than that, uh, thank you very much for having me on. Stay safe, everyone, and look forward to seeing you next time. Yeah, I, I had heard that. I had seen that story. Yeah, polydactyly, I think the, the condition is. But um, yeah, so yeah, that's a nice, nice way to end it off. A congratulations to Francesca Jones. Yeah, look forward to seeing her in the first round in Australia. Thanks for listening, everyone, and stay safe.